I am humbled by that introduction. Um, John, Dr. John Bishop, I call him a lot of names. Uh, he is very, very special to me personally. Um, I've been doing ministry for about 20 years, serving the Lord, and I have not engaged with a lot of uh, godly people who really care about how you're doing personally. Um, in ministry, oftentimes, I've noticed people um, don't always think that much deeper to how you're really doing. And this is one person who I know, I, without a question, I know he prays for me. When he calls me, he asks me some of the things we talked about the last time we talked. It could have been months from that time. And that, to me, is not only an encouragement, but it's also a training for me to really be present with people and to pray for them, to be with them. Um, and another thing that I love about him is his deep love for his wife. It is such an encouragement. Um, I've met Miss Cynthia probably twice, but I probably know so much about her from just his stories and his mistakes and the things he's done well. He really loves his wife, and it is such an encouragement as a young person who is um, celebrating 22 years with my beautiful wife, um, that not only is an amazing lifetime of love possible, but there's great examples for over 50 years um, of two people who love each other and has raised their children and served the Lord with all their hearts and everything that they have. And so I'm grateful for both of them and their witness. Um, I thank you for welcoming me here this morning. And um, my beautiful wife is here Today She's joined me to uh, encourage me a little bit. I'm going to be preaching out of a passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, um, verse 13. Uh, let me pray, and I'll go right into that. Father, I thank you because you're so patient and good to me. And now, Lord, as we go through your word, I pray that we hear from you. Not my clever ideas, but from your holy word, by your Holy Spirit. I pray that you uh, make me uncomfortable and help me and be the person you've called me to be. And I pray that your people are encouraged and strengthened from our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, prerequisite for when I speak, I often ask people to... Uh, kind of shake off your expectations, okay? I'm not going to be as good as I should be, and so just take some pressure off of me, please. Um, you don't know me, and so whatever happens is whatever it is, right? Um, I'm going to do my best, and when, when I feel the need to pull the plane up, I will. And if, if I don't pull it up, just tell me later it was okay and encourage me to continue on in my studies and being a better minister. Uh, this gospel passage is such an encouraging one and strange at the same time. I usually ask people as when we engage with the text, especially a passage that you may be familiar with, uh, around Easter and other times we read through the final chapters of all the Gospels, and Luke is one of the favorites. Uh, in the beginning chapters are great during Christmas time, and the end is great around Easter time. And so you've read this before, you've seen it before, and so I'm going to ask you today to be a Taurus in this passage of scripture, as I'm preaching through it and teaching it, act as if you've never been there before. Uh, if you've never visited Times Square in New York City, it's very easy to discover who the tourists are. 
They are the individuals who are looking up and looking around. And it's very easy for the criminals to know who those people are, and so they know exactly who to pinpoint and to target. And so I'm asking you to make yourself vulnerable today um, for the criminals um, as we are going through Luke 24 to just be a tourist. It's okay. You, you know, touch some things and see some things and experience it as if you've never read it before. In this passage of Scripture, we find a couple gentlemen or maybe a husband and wife. We don't know who the other person is, which is a little um, challenging if I was the other person because Cleophas is the only one mentioned. And could you imagine being with him and engaging with Jesus this way and not even getting your name recorded in the gospel? It probably would be a little frustrating, but that's what Luke does. He is an, an amazing investigator. He's writing out these things, all the accounts. He's interviewed the people. Obviously, with this version of the gospel that Luke is inscribing for his readers, he is trying to share something and to show something and to give us some insights on what's happened. Chapter, thir- uh, chapter 24, around verse 13, it says, Now that same day two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were discussing everything that had taken place, And while they were discussing, and Luke does a great job of letting us know that they were also arguing. And they were fussing with each other and arguing with each other. And Jesus himself came near and began to walk along with them. They didn't recognize him. Um, They were prevented from recognizing him, the the Bible says. And and he asked them, why are you guys, what's going on here, guys? Why are you fussing? What's been going on? And they turned to him and they say, are you the only person? How is it that you're the only visitor here that has no idea what's going on. So we get a few clues right now what's happening with them. These are two disciples who had followed Jesus, who believed in Jesus, and had gone through a traumatic experience, and their expectations didn't, weren't met. That they were expecting one thing, and something else happened. And not only did, was this thing that happened before them a blow-up or a discouragement or something that frustrated them, it actually happened in front of everyone. Could you imagine the thing that you put all of your hope and your trust and you think it's going to go in one direction and it blows up right in front of you for everyone to witness along with you? And so it's understanding these two gentlemen as they are a little discouraged. But not only does Luke tell us about their frustration or their discouragement and their expectations, he also tells us a little something a little deeper, that, that something else was stirring up that day, that the tomb was empty, that the women went earlier in the day and they found the tomb empty and that the body was gone and then it kind of ends there with their frustration. And so they have what happened in front of people, then they have these, these whispers and this confusion of what's going on and what they decide to do is to leave out of Jerusalem. They didn't stay. They didn't stay to investigate. It says that they were on their way to Emmaus. Now, the only thing that we know about this location is that it was at least seven miles away from Jerusalem, and they began to walk, and Jesus shows up for these two disappointed, frustrated gentlemen or man and woman. It says in verse 20 that the chief priests and their leaders had handed him over to be crucified. In verse 21, Cleophas shares their, their expectation that wasn't met. So that they were hoping. Can you just feel that tension when he's sharing with this stranger? That we put our hope and we put our trust in him, that he would redeem Israel. And besides all of this, it's the third day, he says, and the tomb was empty. Their hopelessness was done, their expectations weren't met. And as they were 
talking and sharing with this stranger, sharing the details of their confusion and frustration. He responds back to them with, with a question. His first question to them was, what happened? What happened? It sounds to me, it reminds me a little bit of what happened in the garden when, when the Lord asked Adam and Eve the first question, where are you? And there is this sense that our Lord is asking Cleophas and, and the other person, what's going on? What's happening? What, why, why are you frustrated? And, and you, we know the Lord knows what happened. He, he, he knows where we are. He knows what's going on. He knows why we're frustrated. But there is just this gentle kindness that we see here in the passage where it's like the Lord is engaging and pulling us in to a conversation. Instead of shutting them down or instead of um, um, rebuking them, he engages with them and he asks them to share with him what's going on. First thing I would encourage us with out of this passage is this model that the Lord does. He listened to the people. He, he listened to these guys. He didn't start by correcting them. He didn't start by telling them they were wrong. He listened to them. If there's something that we're missing in our culture today, if there's something that, that it just isn't part of our, our engagement with our neighbors, is listening. It's, it's as if there's something in listening that makes us um, begin to take on what they're saying and doing. Like when my kids would be frustrated and they would be yelling at each other and then they want to come tell on each other and they come into the room and they start sharing all the craziness that they're doing, it, it doesn't make me part of that if I listen to them. But it's as if today in our culture, if we listen to our neighbor or the person we disagree with, we become an accomplice with them and it isn't true. And Jesus listened to them. That was my first encouragement from here is we need to do a better job of listening to people. Proverbs 18, 13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. James 1, 19 says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. When we don't listen, it's almost like we're telling the person on the other side that whatever they have to say and who they are doesn't matter much. But when we give people an opportunity to share, it's another form of communicating that I care about you, that, that I'm listening to you, but it doesn't necessarily mean we're affirming what they're saying or doing. We need to do a better job of listening. We need to communicate that we are interested in the person and our ears are open to hear them. Luke 24 says, or it's implied here, when Jesus responds back to them, how foolish are you, slow to believe, all that the prophets had spoken. And beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus begins to teach them. And so here's the pattern. He listens and then he instructs. It's like a good doctor. And you go to the doctor and you say, my leg hurts or my arm hurts. The doctor doesn't just write you a prescription. He actually investigates a little bit of how, how long has that been bothering you? How, how, how does that affect you if you do this and if I move it this way? And this is what the Lord is doing. What, what exact, why are you discouraged and disappointed? And then he goes, oh, okay. You obviously know the Old Testament. You, you've learned them from a child, but you, haven't, you didn't understand exactly what the purpose was because you had everything, all the information you would have needed to know to realize that not only was this supposed to happen, but it was a success. And this is Jesus' encouragement. 
as he begins to teach them. He says it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and enter into his glory. When my, our two boys were younger, my dad, he often would buy toys for them that uh, he liked and he wanted. Same thing he did for me. He would buy me trains, and I never wanted a train. Like, why are you buying me trains? But he wanted a train when he was a kid, and so he said, you're going to get a train. And I hit the button, and it would go, like, it's just, I was, I'm from the age of video games. I don't want a train. I want a video game. And one year, he bought our boys a wagon. And I know wagons were the, all the rage when he was a kid. And so I'm now responsible for putting the wagon together. And like a great husband, young father, obviously putting a wagon together isn't challenging. And so I did not need to read the instructions. <laughs> obviously, you've been there before. And I got to the end and I put the final cap on the wheel and I began to pull my kids on the wagon and it just wobbled. And I didn't realize that I had missed a step in the instructions. And that one step cost me everything because the final cap that goes on isn't meant to come back off. And so for the life of that wagon, it just didn't go straight. (laughs) And I just pretended like it was part of what was supposed to happen. It's, 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 just, it's got a funky wobble. It's okay, guys. It's, this is exactly what's happening. And this is kind of indicative to what we do, right? We sometimes limp along, not really understanding. And Jesus is saying, listen, guys, you, you have this information, but you, you have, you're not reading it to, to see exactly what I'm saying. A few examples. Moses is where he's pointing them to, Genesis 3, 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. You shall bruise, uh, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There is this pointing uh, from the third chapter of the gospel that's pointing to the Messiah, is pointing to Jesus. And he's saying, you've had this before you and, and you need to understand this had to happen. The death, burial, and the birth of Jesus was all written in the scriptures. Numbers 21.9, so Moses made a brown serpent and set it on a pole, and if a, serp- and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. This is pointing to someone who is going to be lifted up and raised before the people so that their salvation, the, first of all, the judgment and the punishment would be on him and they would receive salvation. And this is what the Old Testament has been pointing to. It's a, it's a little flat sometimes and it feels a little hard to see. It isn't in high definition like the, the New Testament is, but there's perfect um, explanations and points to what exactly was supposed to happen to the Lord's Son. Isaiah 7:14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel John 5 Jesus is sharing with the the religious leaders and he says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me Jesus's question was to engage with them it was to draw them into a conversation. It, it, it's, it's, he's so patient and so kind that he asks a good question so that he can have a good conversation with two of his followers. Now, their problem was unmet expectations. They misunderstood God's goal. And what was God's goal? Well, Thomas, frustrated, not seeing the Lord, hearing the rumors that he had raised from the grave, Jesus appears to him, 
It says, put your finger here. John 20, 27. And look at my hands. And reach your hand and put it into my side. And don't be faithless, but believe. And John, and Thomas responded, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. And blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. This is so powerful because this is what's happening in Luke. The Lord could have made himself known, but he didn't. In fact, his first move was one that I wouldn't have done. If I had been crucified and I had been made fun of and I had been tortured, the first thing I would do is go to the news station. The first thing I would do is go to the Roman soldiers. I'd go to the religious leaders and I would say, I'm back. But Jesus doesn't do that. He actually goes for a seven-mile walk with two people. He spends all of that time with them, teaching them in a small group Bible study with three people. He doesn't go to the, tw- the 11. He goes to Cleophas and the unnamed guy. Now, as a young church planner, I, I, people think we, we do a lot of wacky and different things. And I promise you, if I said I'm going to start a small group, a walking small group Bible study, there's someone like my grandmother would go, these young preachers and their weird new small group studies. But Jesus creates the first walking small group Bible study. <laughs> I mean, it's, he's the same person who, who kicks out on the boat and starts preaching on the water, right? And if I said, you know what, guys, I'm going to teach out on the water, they'd be like, here, look at this guy. All of these attractional things, but Jesus was an, a very attractional preacher. But he does something powerful that we often overlook. He spends time walking through the scriptures in a small group setting. Is there something that happens in a group setting? where we gather around God's word and we have a little bit of coffee or tea and we pour over what the Lord has done and we look and see what he's saying to us today and how we should treat one another and how we should listen to each other and encourage each other and pray for each other. That There is something special and unique in the large gathering, but there is something powerful in the small group gathering in his word. It wasn't as if they didn't already have it. They knew the Old Testament. They just didn't have the clarity. And what does Jesus do? He makes it clear for them by walking through the Bible. My last point is something that Luke does and is very cool. Uh, it, it's, it's the sense that, that we know as the audience reading, we know what's happening. We know that Jesus has not been disclosed to them. We can see it. Uh, he's there. They don't know who they're talking to. They don't know who they're in a small group study with. They're walking with all this time. Their hearts are on fire. They say later, like, wasn't our hearts burning when he was just sharing the scriptures? It, it's as if For that period of time, they had no idea who he was. And then later, when he breaks the bread, their eyes open. It's as if, like the old Superman TV show, he put the glasses on and no one knows. It's Clark Kent. Hey, Clark, get in here and write this stuff. And then he takes the glasses off. Oh, my goodness, it's Superman. It's the same person. And this is what's happening in this passage. Jesus is doing something and showing something here that he is with them. They don't know it's him. And he's spending this time going through the scripture. I, again, I, I, would have, I would have pulled my trump card out early. This is why you should listen to me. 
But Jesus doesn't. He just engages with them. There's this TV show that uh, used to be on TV. I don't know if it's on anymore. It's called Undercover Bosses. Have you ever seen the show? It's the, the, the owner of the company will come in and they would be with the employees and they would be dressed different. And many of them are so high up in the company that no one even knows what they look like. And so they come and they spend time with the employees and ask them, they would ask questions and how do things run around here? What do you think about the company? What do you think about this direction we're going in? And the people, because they don't know who they're in the presence with, they share their heart. Like, man, I love this place. I wish we made this decision, though, when this happened, or, or I wish this happened here, and the owner is actually getting to hear what's going on in the heart of his employees. When I was in Dallas in school, and I was working at FedEx, and I heard a story of the owner of FedEx, uh, I think his name was Fred, and he said one time Fred went into the back where everyone was working, and he just stood around, and this lady said, hey, you, why are you standing around like that? Fred wouldn't like that. You need to get in here, and you need to work with us. And so, so he looks around, and he, he goes down with the people, and he begins to move the boxes, and he's sweating because it's hard work. And, and she's like, you're not going to last around here long. Fred don't like people who can't get the job done. And, and he's, you know, well, tell me some more about this Fred. And he began to learn an awful lot about the company that he ran. There's something about those high-up meetings where people aren't always honest with the owner. People don't always share their frustrations or their fears, but because she didn't know who he was, she, he got to learn so much about the company that he never knew. The story goes that later on he wrote a letter and made a lot of changes and encouraged her and did a whole lot of things and she didn't even realize she was with him, but there's something even about Cleophas and this other person, about their honesty, about their fears, about their confusion that came out in a way that often doesn't come out if, if, if we're not in a smaller setting. There's a Christian comedian named John Crisp who's got these, this three-part uh, comedy sketch where he, he's an undercover pastor, and he goes into a ch his church uh, with a hat on, and he begins to meet with, the first person he meets with is the worship leader. And he learns that the worship leader is like, yeah, I, I never listen to the sermons. I, I, I never paid. He, he preaches long. And then he meets with one of the elders and he goes, yeah, all we do is steal ideas from the big church down the street. And, and he really doesn't have anything clever. And then he meets with the children's director. And the children's director goes, yeah, he doesn't really like children. And he, pre <laughs> he always preaches over. And I mean, it, it was, it's very funny, but it's just this interesting understanding that sometimes we don't necessarily share everything that's going on in our hearts. In fact, when I meet with families that are in crisis at my church, it isn't until the crisis moment that they share what's really going on. Week after week, they'll tell me, everything's fine, Pastor, everything is good. And what is it that keeps them from sharing some of the pain and the frustration? And I know what it is. It's because we're often in a large setting. We're never really sitting around the Word together one-on-one -on -one where they can be transparent with me. And Jesus models something as the ultimate undercover boss, that he listens to them, that he hears them, and then he addresses what's going on. As a culture that doesn't listen, as a culture where we see people walking away from each other, we need to push towards hearing people and being with people. Their disillusion their arguing and their confusion made them frustrated to walk away. And Jesus shows up, and he's walking with them, 
in the opposite direction where they should be going, and he spends time with them. That's so hard. It's hard to walk with someone, especially when they're in opposition, to be with them, to spend time with them. My dad's a fisherman. He loves fishing. And I remember as a kid frustrating him because I, I just didn't like fishing, just like I didn't like trains. It, it just took too long. It was, confu- it was dirty. The mosquitoes, it's just a lot of work. And I remember one time catching a fish. It was a, it was a sunny. That's what they called them. And, and the fish uh, went through my mom's line and went through my brother's line and went through my dad's line. It just tangled everything up. It was just a mess. I just wanted to throw the whole pole into the water and just walk away. Or at least take a pair of scissors and just cut the strings. Because it's just too much work to untangle it. It's too much work to, to just get things fixed and straight out. But that isn't the model that Jesus lays out. He actually takes time to untangle these two people's confusion and frustration. He takes time with them. Instead of just cutting the line and saying, you go, he says, I'm going to go with you. And he untangles the line. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I know it's frustrating sometimes in the culture we live in where it seems like everyone's yelling at each other and frustrated with each other and ready to quit and walk away from each other, but we have been called. We have been giving the light. We've been giving God's word. We should have the perseverance and the patience to listen, to love, and untangle some of these strings. Jesus takes this time to help his followers to understand the scriptures and to show them that he's the point and that this thing that has happened before them was a better success than they could possibly imagine. And it's from that moment that once they're encouraged and strengthened and they, they're, they're with the Lord and, and his word has lit ablaze their heart, they run back to Jerusalem and they share with the other 11. And that should be us. That as we leave from our small groups and we leave from our gatherings, that we should be on fire to go to this tangled world and help them get a little untangled. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the clear instructions that as we spend time in your presence and in your word, And as we look out into this confused place and understand that we are called and sent as your ambassadors with the gospel of peace, of truth, and grace, instead of walking away, you're sending us. You're sending us to be with, to listen, and to teach. Lord, I pray that we don't get weary in well-doing. I pray that we persevere so that this world may know that there is a king that loves them, that is true and is faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.